my beautiful friends. Welcome to another episode here at The Rich Witch with your host, Natalie Granja. Oh man, you already know how I feel about all of the incredible guests I have on the show. I never have anyone in this sanctuary space we've created that I don't feel could be of the utmost value to you. And wow, David was especially incredible because he brought a new level of depth to the show that I was really hoping we'd get to. And I know today's episode will surely open up a Pandora's box of conversations going forward. This episode was so insightful that immediately off the air, we decided he'd be on for a part two. David Solomon has over 22 years experience as a magician, which we'll get into what that actually means. He has studied and practiced in Hermetic, Kabbalistic, Wiccan, Taoist, Vedic, Tibetan, Yogic, and Shamanic traditions, along with experience in Qigong, Nagong, acupuncture, and various forms of meditation. David is the founder of Magical Golden Age, a website and community providing education in the science of applied consciousness, a term he uses for magic. Borrowing from Arthur C. Clarke's definition of any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Having experienced over 300 miracles in cities, including telekinesis, weather control, rapid healing of wounds, precognition, animal communication, profound synchronicities, and a rapid manifestation, in rapid manifestations, David teaches in workshops, personal trainings, and healing sessions at spiritual retreats in powerful spots around the world. David is also the author of Magic is Real, How to Create Reality, Manifest Miracles, and Make Spirituality Fun Again. He's active on Instagram via at Sorcerer Dave, David, excuse me, and will be building three temples along with major contributions to a new city of Atlantis in 2041. Ooh, we're going to get into that. So without further ado... Please enjoy this episode with David Solomon. So, how are you doing? <laughs> I am fantastic like a band of elastic. How are you? Oh, wow. That's, you know what? I've yet to hear a response like that. So, very good. I've got I've got a handful of others when they come up oh I like that okay great well I want to first begin with knowing like where you're at in the world you know for the listeners who don't yet know you introduce yourself yeah well I'm my name is David Solomon um, I am a practicing magician, sorcerer, entrepreneur, shaman, energy healer, psychic, and many other things. And I live in Silicon Valley, right around Palo Alto. And wow. I've had about 22 years of formal and informal training in a lot of different mystical, spiritual, and other arts. Um, and one of the things that I really love doing, that I've done my whole life, that I really love to serve when I work with people individually, when I think about my own life purpose and plans, is integrating the material and the spiritual. 
um, I found a lot of people really tend to polarize in one and then kind of slightly demonize the other and totally. feel that we're here to really master all worlds. Um, whether for somebody that means being a master magician or rich or being, uh, you know, wealthy and providing for the family and achieving certain life goals. So the idea of a rich witch podcast sounded really great because it, it's like an expression of that. Yes, I absolutely understand what you're saying. And I talk a lot about that too, where it's, it's marrying both the intuitive spiritual world and the material. I mean, we are having a human incarnation for a reason. It's not to, you know, become completely aloof to our um, desires and pleasures that we get to experience in this, in this vessel. So um, in specifically, because it sounds like you're doing so much. And on this show, we talk a lot about, you know, our life purpose, the spiritual awakening, the mission that we're here on this earth to do and how that manifests, right? So some people will go into the entrepreneurship like myself, like yourself, where you are taking clients and you're receiving some sort of exchange of energy, um, to share your gifts with other people. What specifically would you say, um, what kind of transformation do you offer your, the people that you work with? Like what kind of work specifically do you do? Well, really, I, I work with people who want to build a successful, thriving and growing business and have mm -hmm. a path um, spiritually that takes them towards a level of mastery. Um, a lot of people, you know, advertise sessions and things like that and are kind of a different phrase of a life coach with different things that they add. Um, but I look for people who are really wanting to commit and take their life to a completely transformed different level. Um, you know, strategizing and spot coaching and helping heal a couple things and talk about building a skill is always great. But when I work with people, it's usually for six to 12 months. And that really gives time to take something and really make it something that you're proud of. Maybe it means launching a business. Maybe it means growing a business from scattered revenue to something really robust, like $30,000, $40,000 a month, um, or several hundred thousand or several million, depending on where it's at. Um, and in terms of mystical and spiritual skills, a lot of times people like to dabble or they're curious or like, oh my gosh, David, you've looked at all these traditions and you've had over a dozen human teachers and non-human teachers and you have... Uh, you've shown telekinesis and weather control and magical, powerful, very fast healing and money magic and all this stuff. I want to hear about all of it. And I said, well, that's great. We can definitely do like the equivalent of a liberal arts uh, curriculum, but it's really nice. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice pursuing mastery and expertise. Um, you know, I personally care to be world-class. One of my stretch goals is to be able to have a network of I'll use the word magician to be cosmopolitan. Of course, I'm addressing, you know, witches, shamans, Wiccans, customize the word if you're listening to whatever is meaningful to you. Um, but I want to be able to say, you know, say you're walking through a city and you see somebody get hit by a bike. What if you could send a push notification and a thousand fellow healers would send energy to that person and their skin would knit together before the ambulance arrived? What if a decade or two decades from now, we could get a hundred thousand mastery level people and reform the glaciers and regrow the rainforests in record time. You know, th these are things that are beyond the day-to-day -day cool applications of magic, which usually involve shifting the probabilities of events in our life to stuff at a global scale that is really deeply meaningful. 
Um, so that's what I personally care about in my journey with a few things that I can map out in concrete detail, like building temples in the city, as I talk about at my book and my website on magicalgoldenage.com. Um, so when I work with people, I like to say, what, what do you really want as your legacy, as your contribution? Sure, maybe you know yourself intellectually or in your heart as an immortal soul, but generally we have a memory and a conception of this lifetime, whether it's 80 plus or minus years, or use certain advanced techniques like Bakaya Kalpa to extend your lifespan by another 20 to 50 years, uh, or anything that you could foresee coming up in the future. You know, what do you really, really care about manifesting with a capital M? Uh, whatever your motivation might be. And like, let's, let's get on that. Let's get the plan and let's make it happen. Wow. 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 That's incredible because, you know, it's interesting to have these conversations with, you know, um, other people and everyone has their version of how, how they want their impact to shape the world. Right. Whether that's something like, uh, you're, you're working with one person or small groups of people or retreats or whatever it is, but you're talking about a whole new level of impact where it is mastery and, and this concept of like, wow, what if you get a notification and a bunch of healers are sending their, their universal life force energy, their magic to that person, like what that could look like. And so bringing it to a global scale, I mean, Wow. Um, you did mention something just now that I saw on your website that I'm fascinated by when you talk about building temples in Atlantis, if I'm not mistaken. So what I talk about in chapter 13, which is called The Future of Magic, in my book, Magic is Real, um, and that, that's on Amazon and a bunch of other places, there's, there's a way we can play in the world that's playing small or medium, playing incrementally in terms of leveling ourselves and our communities up. And retreats play a role, publishing books play a role, I'm publishing two more this year. You know, blogs, YouTube videos, the thought leader stuff, all, all that makes sense and big events all make sense. But if you look at the course of the evolution of our civilization over decades and centuries, it's really things that, that we build that have a physical presence that last. Um, you know, any person that made a big impact in our world, it takes a lot for somebody's impact to be felt, say, 10, 15 years after their death, um, unless they built something. Yeah, there, there's exceptions, certain authors and filmmakers and poets and, and spiritual leaders and, you know, people like Dr. Martin Luther King and Gandhi, etc. But when I look at where we are as a civilization, um, both the people listening to this podcast who really care about it, everyone here who you know, is dedicated at some level or a big level to a spiritual life. When we think about the rest of the world and what we want for the rest of the world, whether we want something to be available or like this change needs to happen. Maybe it's global sustainability with the environment. Maybe it's something related to ending human trafficking or equal rights for people regardless of gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, whatever. And you know, we want to make a big impact. So for me, there's four symbolic ways that I was given slash that I chose at a soul level for missions and purpose in this lifetime. And so th those are as follows. The first is a temple of Thoth and very, very devout people in his tradition would call him Thoth, but Thoth is, is a more common pronunciation. So I'll use that also known as Hermes. So the, the high level mm -hmm. definition for those who don't know is the God of magic 
and the god of reading and writing. And Thoth is also known as Hermes Transmigristus, the alchemist. But if we look at magic, you know, there's so many books of spells. There's so many ways people individually have worked with manifestation, the law of attraction, whether it's with deity or in ritual or with spirits or astrologically or ceremonially or whatever. But ultimately, magic has its limits, we perceive, on the level of power it can achieve. And there are ways to raise those limits. But if you think about it, you know, a solitary witch, I was a practicing witch for years. I even, I grew up Jewish and I said to my rabbi at, at like 12 before my bar mitzvah, you know, identify more as a witch than a Jew, but can I still have my bar mitzvah? He's like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> what a great and a crappy rabbi at the same time. <laughs> uh, I, right? And I, I switched through labels during, during my past and I don't love labels, but I use magician or sorcerer or, or sometimes, sometimes witch depending on the setting. I mean, ultimately, most of us, you know, we can do a ceremony, maybe it's with the full moon, maybe it's just when we decide to, and have some candles and incense and crystals and an altar, and that's our magic. But if we go to a temple, a sacred space, maybe we get another 12 people we're really close to who are also really good at magic. You know, even being able to do that for most of us is a stretch. I live in the Bay Area near San Francisco, and there's so many people, but getting people together that you're close with who are skilled, who are also mature, is a stretch. Mm -hmm. But say, say you're in a great temple with great people, it's the right astro astrology, moon phase, you have the best crystals, you have sacred geometry, inscribed in gold and platinum. Um, you know, you, you have all this stuff, and you really do a powerful ritual, maybe say to save somebody's life who has a terminal diagnosis, um, or something, you know, big life significance, and you succeed. You know, that's really cool. But we, we've heard of that happening before. We know we can access that stuff. Certain individuals, whether they're called saints or holy people or masters, um, you know, can do that, whether on command or in special occasions. But what about raising the power level and say, like, healing everybody in the hospital? You know, just like, let's, let's get ambitious about what we can do with magic, with consciousness. Um, th there's a guy who does pranic living and pranic healing events and he'll get a ton of people in an auditorium in wheelchairs and crutches with all this stuff. He'll take in so much chi, chi, prana, energy, blast them with it, and they'll get out of their wheelchairs and they'll be fine. And he's like, see what happens when your energy is full. Now you need to live a good lifestyle to maintain this or you'll revert. And then, you know, as can be predicted, the people who are like, wow, this is a big deal. I'll, I'll be willing to listen to this person. I understand that. They optimize my energy because consciousness affects energy, affects the material world. I can heal and be healed. So let me keep this up. And they're, they're fine. And the people who don't revert. So that's a very powerful healer to affect, you know, maybe a couple hundred people at once. But what if we could do something like charge a crystal or a bracelet, the same as the highest masters, you know, the Merlin level people throughout history. So the Temple of Thoth is to raise the power levels on magic both what we can achieve and how to do it. Um, and I'll pause a sec before going on if you have any questions about that. Yeah, wow, this is uh, um, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing this. I do have a question actually. Um, I, you know, I'm a Reiki master teacher, so I do a certain level, right, of, of energy healing. And of course, just God or, you know, um, universal gifts that have been given to me. But 
do you what is your opinion to what extent could you um could a healing happen with someone like a terminal disease or being in a wheelchair does that person in your understanding the the receiver have to be a believer of what's happening like to what level does that consciousness need to be there so i actually have a chapter on power in magic is real book three um that actually has equations for this but my, my short answer is absolutely not you know think about if if you're riding on horseback through the forest and you get shot through the arrow with the crossbow or shot through the heart with the crossbow um but you don't die immediately mm-hmm. And there's a, a surgeon in a state-of-the-art hospital nearby, and they keep your brain alive. And you previously met the surgeon. You thought she was a total jerk, not qualified. But you wake up from a mild coma a few weeks later and realize you had a perfect recovery, and she operated on you. And you're like, wow, I thought you sucked. You actually achieved something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I misjudged you. Mm-hmm. you know, that's a very classical example, whether you want to call it a broken arm or leg or whatever. You could have a qualified physician and if they know what they're doing and you allow them or, you know, whoever, if you're unconscious, allows them to work on you, they can achieve the result. And I'm, I'm not going to go into Western medicine and pharmacology and all this wrong with it. So for magic, you know, again, let's think of the highest level people. Let's, let's say Jesus, whether you want to call Jesus an ideal healer or a person who actually existed, and then everything said about that person may or may not be true based on translation, religious, political motives, right. and stuff. Right, but let's just take Jesus and put Jesus at the same level as Merlin, um, mm-hmm. or Ananda Moima for a female healer, or Mother Teresa. Um, you know, and let's just take somebody, um, I'll, I'll use Mary Magdalene, because there's so many male powerful wizards. And let, let's yeah. call Mary a, a Merlin Jesus level healer. You know, Mary could be so such a powerful healer that somebody could spit in her face, but if she knows they really want to heal, maybe they have a mental illness or they're poisoned or they have Lyme disease and they're crazy, she could essentially decide to heal them. And if it's something their higher self wants, they'd be healed. But what we find in organizations like the Institute of Noetic Sciences or ION in Petaluma, California, consciousness is a factor. And we know in all sorts of peer-reviewed scientific studies in the Western and every world um, on, on, this, on this planet in the modern era that, you know, while the placebo effect is legit, you could swallow a sugar pill, you think it'll cure a mild form of OCD, and it does. Mm-hmm. We also know the nocebo effect is legit. You think water has heavy metals and they'll make you anxious. You drink the water, even if it's perfectly pure, you could get anxious. The nocebo effect is the opposite effect, the placebo effect. So because at prime, at the fountainhead of reality, consciousness is where things originate. If you see a healer, regardless of their background or tradition, it could be chi, it could be reiki, it could be uh, massage, witchcraft, shamanism, um, you know, whatever, and you think that person has no ability or could harm you, then you get into an equation of the power levels of consciousness based on your belief and their belief. And it's really hard to pin this down because unless you have a really good way of measuring the strength of consciousness, which I I haven't seen, I I think may exist in certain really advanced uh, communities, whether those are human or, you know, not our current perception of human as we would think of it. Um, You know, if you take Mary Magdalene and somebody on, you know, your average middle of America talk show, Mary would probably have a stronger level of consciousness. But if you take random people, um, you know, it could be anything. We don't know how strong somebody is. Even physiology can betray somebody because you could be a power lifter without a lot of muscle mass 
and lift more than you know a football player if you really master your body. So mm -hmm. I, I think it does depend on that equation. Um, and ultimately, if, if we want to achieve the biggest levels of impact and have powerful healings on record to inspire people, we should work with people who are interested and willing. Um, you know, I think just like with anything, if you have a new supplement or you find a rare plant, like this plant can do so many things. It can get rid of scars, for example. So people, you know, have scars on their face and it, they don't like it and they don't want to have to use a ton of makeup and plastic surgery won't work. And you hear this rare plant called the Fulluvian, for example, that can completely get rid of scars. If somebody is skeptical, they're not even going to try it. The people who are interested are going to try it. And if it works, their scars will go away. So I think, you know, while we can always look at is belief a factor or not, there are some places where it is and some where it isn't. And we, like anything, if you want to succeed, work in a setting where you can succeed. Right. Right. So the temple that you would be creating is essentially like a vortex or a, a charger of some sort energetically. It'd be that. It'd also be a bit of a university research lab and think tank. Yeah. Yeah. And when you refer to it as Atlantis, is this the new paradigm, the 5D and above coming to Earth? Is this a new Earth? What Could you explain that? So Atlantis is number four. I mentioned four things that I want to I want to build. So mm -hmm. just to quickly go over the other two temples, and then I'll yes. get into Atlantis a bit. One is a temple of Aphrodite. Um, and again, I'm using names that we know in culture, but any name of any culture can can work. Um, but just using the highest personification of love and sexuality. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have emotional attachments to the Greek gods and goddesses. So I, I like using the idea of Aphrodite here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're in a world where there's a lot of healing and education needed around the topics of love and sex. There's a lot of human teachers who have done a good job and a lot who have screwed that up for various reasons we don't need to get into. So I think having a great place that is open sourced and transparent um, to provide education, healing, a safe space related to those topics um, for all peoples is, is really needed. Um, and then beyond that is a temple of Lakshmi. Um, and again, not, not to put favoritism over a Hindu tradition, just to right. kind of go across the board for things related to wealth. You know, debt is a big issue. Abundance is a big issue, not just in money. Wealth is a big issue in terms of enabling life choices and freedoms. So I think we really need a lot of work on that as a global civilization. And helping somebody write a book on reinventing the global economy um, and just looking at you know, how much debt there is on an individual national level and how certain people in elite classes have way more freedoms and ability related to even concepts of creating and multiplying money. Um, you know, just, just a brief stat before. move on to Atlantis. Um, if you have the funds to do well in a recession, you can buy things when they're cheap, property stocks, etc. And you know that's coming because you have, you know, an army of people that you hire to give you a heads up on it. And if you don't, your wealth generally decreases. So over the average lifetime, wealth multiply 25 times if you're in a wealthy class than if you're not and you can ride the waves of the recessions, um, you know, whether they're eight to 12 year cycles or whatever. So th things like that, just even the scales, I think we need a temple for that. Um, mm -hmm. But moving on to Atlantis, because I think a lot more people care about that, is Atlantis as it was, was the pinnacle of technological and spiritual civilization on earth 
and depending on your belief or knowledge throughout the galaxy. And one of the places I trained was an Atlantean mystery school called Damanhur. It's spelled D-A-M-A-N-H-U-R. Um, again, in my book, Magic is Real by David Solomon, I talk about some of my time at Damanhur, and I have a photo of their founder. For anybody who's a channel or a medium or a psychic, you can connect with his energies through there. Um, but at Damanhur, there's all these temples, and they do have a time machine and teleportation device where people actually visited Atlantis. And what they talk about Atlantis is the pinnacle of human civilization, um, you know, disappeared slash was destroyed between 13 and 15,000 years ago. And there's a reason for that big range of time. Um, but there's four people alive today who uh, one could communicate with who actually went there with an avatar level, you know, Merlin class level magician named Falco who founded this city. Um, but what I want to do with this new Atlantis, also Dominator's mission, I know there's other people in the world who care about this type of thing, is create uh, a 10 million person city, so the size of New York, uh, launching it, founding it, breaking ground in September of 2041. There's a, a significance for that. I can share if you want. But yeah. we, we need a pinnacle of cosmopolitan spirituality, meaning a type of spirituality everybody can relate to, not polarizing with religion, um, but something that has the best we can create and offer um, that's the highest standard that can show us, you know, what would a golden age be where we get everything right? And th this isn't ideal. I get that. There's a lot of people who think they know how to fix the world, but there, there's certain ways I believe the city can be successful. And I think if we could do it, whether anybody listening, whether you want to live there or not, I think most people could agree, you know, if, if we want to improve our local city or community or we want to move to somewhere, what is the best? You know, there's all the, the happiest places on earth, the wealthiest places on earth, but what if we could have the best of all worlds? And that's what I want to create um, where not just it's a very high standard, but where magic is really commonplace. And you can walk, you know, in your city, um, you know, not having to hide your, your magic. I think a lot of us have to hide our magic and that sucks. Right. Yeah. Well. Um, gosh, I have like all these other questions for you, but you keep opening all these doors and I'm like, okay, I have to go into this next door now. <laughs> um, why 2041? Um, well, I can answer that. But first, you know, a lot of times when I do interviews, sometimes people say, oh, right after we finish, let's schedule the next one and the next one. And for, for Positive Head, mm -hmm. we actually did two back to back as the same thing. Uh, so thank you. And I'm happy to answer <laughs> anything you have, whether it's on the show or just casually one on one. Um, and also for anybody listening, just you can hit me up on magicalgoldenage.com slash mentoring, and I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions anybody has, uh, magic or otherwise. So 2041 is a very special day. Um, first, it was given to me in my remembering of my soul's decision of mission for this life slash my, my mission and purpose from a mortal 3D perspective. Uh, I guess that'd be kind of 5D. But I share a birthday with Aliester Crowley. Um, we were both born October 12th and many people don't know it, but Crowley was Hitler's spiritual mentor. Wow. And I had a grandmother in Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen and I grew up in a Jewish community, you know, not Orthodox, just, you know, I guess you could say ethnically, although pe most people were American. And I, I grew up seeing Holocaust memorials. And when I was like eight, I saw all those sad slash terrible 
you know, if you don't take an enlightened perspective where nothing matters and everything's perfect, um, the, the sad and terrible images of like all the children's shoes or the naked skinny people on the way to crematorium or the movie Schindler's List, you know, all this horrific stuff that, that kind of scarred me. Um, and once I healed from most of it and then, you know, later on visited a concentration camp as a teenager and had to heal from that, I, I realized, wow. you know, somebody had to be really powerful to commit atrocities at this scale. And I don't want to belittle the atrocities in Sudan and other places of the world that have had, you know, very, very sad, awful things happen, like the Holocaust concentration camps. And I know the Jewish people were only a small segment. I'm also, um, you know, mostly gay. I mean, you know, mostly because of, you know, homage to Kinsey. And I know a lot of um, people who identified as homosexual were also, you know, put to death there. Right. the amount of power Hitler had wasn't just because he was a good orator or politician or took advantage of his civilization, or I, I guess you could say society in trauma from the aftermath of World War I. So the amount of power Crowley had um, and offered to Hitler and people like him was so massive that I feel the world needs a counterbalance. Um, I've never felt comfortable with dark magic. And in fact, in all of my writings and teachings, I include a holographic binding that nobody can use anything I teach for um, the purposes of harm or slavery on another living creature, in- including stuff I say here. Um, but w- when I just peeked at Crowley's writings, I, I think most people who look deep into magic, his name comes up because he was kind of popular. I'm like, this just feels wrong. It feels bad. And I couldn't you know, finish his stuff. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know if I threw his books away. I don't think I burned them. But I'm like, this, this really feels wrong. And when I learned we shared a birthday, you know, I really psychically tapped in. I'm like, okay, I need to be really real with myself. What's the connection here? And, you know, 1941 was a big date in the World War II timeline, um, if you just look at things historically. And I feel it's, it's part of my duty to counterbalance the vortex of darkness that Crowley contributed to with the vortex of light. Um, and that's one of the things I'm doing. And just for the safeguards, a lot of the things I'm doing, in fact, all at the higher levels, I want to have open sourced and transparent because uh, I am talking about creating essentially power spots and society is full of historical stories where power was abused. I think the way to avoid that is by having stuff open sourced and transparent so people can look under the hood and realize even if one person spearheaded a movement, um, you know, if that one person were to disappear or to lose all their power, everything could continue and we as a civilization could take that spark of an idea and either run with it or change it. Um, and I think that is, that is a way of serving in a selfless way. Um, so that, you know, for me, for example, I wouldn't seek political leadership in the city, uh, but even if I died or went off planet or whatever, I, I want this to be so valuable to humanity that people would want to carry it on with me not as a factor if that ever became appropriate. And that would not be my call. Right. Wow. So, so enlightening. Um, when, okay, how did you receive all of this calling? Like, at what point in your life were you, how did you awake to this mission that you have? Well, there were three specific instances where it got clear. The first was um, I was at a school that both trained people as spiritual healers, helped people become awakened slash enlightened, and healed you of all your stuff, psychological, biopsychological, energetically, 
Um, and the goal was either to achieve all of those 100% or help people get really clear on what was needed. Um, and I think most of us can say healing is a continuous journey, enlightenment is a continuum, which only ends when you're a floating ball of light or you're creating planets. Um, but it was a really good school. And I'm not going to name it here because it's really kind of small and exclusive. But if anybody lives or has frequent access to the Bay Area and wants to reach out to me, I'd be happy to talk with you and pass you on to um, the leader of that school. It's, it's a great community. It's only once every two years is an opening. I think it's really effective and it's good for some people and not for others. Um, but when I was at that school at a four-day retreat related to the sixth chakra uh, or the third eye or eye of Horus, depending on you know perspectives, I, I teach a lot about that um, you know chakra, eye, psychic stuff. I just got a knowing about Atlantis and I shared it with one of the teachers and founders and a senior student and they felt the level of energy so much that they had to like go into kriyas, um, which is like energetic jerky movements and you know, flowy Tai Chi looking things just to move the energy through their system. And it felt really wow. real. And every time I thought about it, I di it differentiated from an idea or an excitement or delusion for those of us who are concerned about that stuff when you bring in mental health and plant medicines into the picture. And every time I thought about it or felt it, it's like, yes, this is true, this is real. Um, which I'll, I think is also a good test between uh, intuition and inspiration uh, versus mm. delusion and imagination. It's like if something is consistent mm. and still, uh, then it's you know a higher truth. Um, so that was when it was really revealed. When it became more clear was when I started uh, really channeling my books, uh, the Magic is Real books, um, and felt their the vibration come through. And the third was when I was editing them from a human perspective, because in channeling, the ego kind of steps away. Um, and during the edits and sharing these with people, the feedback people shared was so high vibey. You know, a book, you know, has 13 chapters. It's 300 some odd pages. There's a lot of content. And for people to comment on the temples in Atlantis more so than almost any other chunk, especially because those were introduced in the very last chapter and most people read the book in order, was a bit of a validation that, you know, the world would like this. It's not just an excited idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So were there any synchronicities? Cause obviously you got that download Were there synchronicities um, that occurred throughout this process, because I talk about um, when we receive those downloads and when we have this awakening of like, Oh shit, this is my mission oftentimes people are given these like signs and our ego, depending on, you know, where you are in your journey, if you're leading mostly with your ego can be, it kind of blocks your ability to see those signs. Were there any signs that were like super in your face um, that you had to experience that were like, whoa, okay, this is happening? Or was it like a one moment instance? Uh, there were hundreds of synchronicities. And yeah, were, yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the the most intense synchronicities that, God, there's so many. I, I'm just going to go through them, um, but led by my intuition in this moment for what, what makes the most sense uh, and what, what's worth prioritizing. So in Damanhur, again, that Atlantean Mystery School in Italy, where they have great schools on alchemy and healing and other stuff, 
I was standing in front of a statue of Horus, Egyptian god of light, among other things. And I was standing in an open temple, meaning they have altars and bell towers and ponds and inscriptions and statues of divinities and all this stuff. And Horus is right next to Pan for anybody who's you know, very pagan. And there's nobody else outside near me. And I said telepathically to Horus, I asked, how can I serve you? And at that moment, the temple bell went gong, like really loud. And I, I did not say that out loud. And his reply was, meditate every day and start a, found a school. And the school that I founded right now, it's mainly just digital. It's uh, at, you can find it on Magical Golden Age or at wizardschool.magicalgoldenage.com. Um, and eventually it'll be a school that I, I you know, like a, a physical one. And for people who do mentorship with me, like six to 12 months, it's kind of a customized school because a lot of us need a personal path. Um, so that, that was a huge synchronicity. Um, another one was when, after the Oregon Eclipse Festival a few years back, I, I left feeling all this high vibe spiritual stuff. And there was a woman who uh, I'll call Julia, who on the last day of the festival, she had all, all these questions. And I, I showed her a bunch of stuff. I teach her, taught her how to fill chi, how to open her third eye, how to protect herself, answered all her questions. And we just, you know, hung out and, and chatted for a while. Um, and after the festival, you know, that was the most enriching time. It wasn't the music or the art. The eclipse was awesome, but it was, it was really the teaching. And realizing that at these temples, you know, there's a lot of knowledge to be passed on. They are, like I said, in part universities. And after the temples, I was staying at a neat hotel in Oregon. I was recovering from a few life events before the festival. And I, I asked for a sign that this was the right path to dedicate on. Uh, because, you know, for most people here, dedicating to a spiritual path doesn't have to be you're a celibate monk with a shaved head in a cave. Right. But, you know, it's, it's usually not lucrative um, unless you're like, you know, a pastor at a mega church. But, mm -hmm. you know, that isn't right for a lot of people. <laughs> right. And, and even if you're a best-selling author, you know, could call that spiritual, but that's, that's kind of more in the realm of thought leader and the genre of spirituality. Um, and that, that's, that's one opinion. Obviously, it's not the opinion for everyone. And so I said, can I please have a, a shooting star that it's the right path for me to dedicate to? And I asked that because I had started 13 businesses, um, Natalie, uh, and I had one of the businesses grossed over a million dollars a year. And I had consulted with people individually. I had offers for all these things. I spent time at Stanford Business School. And as I was about to enter a new phase of life, it was kind of a risk. It was a big financial decision, a big life decision. And I knew I would face people with ridicule. I had had haters before then. And I knew I would have a life of, at least some of the time, having people be haters and critics and other stuff, especially outside of the bubbles of tolerant places where I live. and a shooting star streaked across the sky, but in the corner of my vision. And it was cool because I asked for a shooting star and one came and I'm like, universe, come on. Can I please have something more significant than that? <laughs> and then right after, a massive brilliant shooting star, like five times bigger, streaked across the sky, right in the middle of where I was looking. And it was really cool. Wow. And I'm like, okay, this is a neat sign. Um, and there were so many other times. You know, once when I was feeling a little despondent and the magic felt kind of weak, I was on my bike and I asked for a sign. I smelled the sweetest roses, just a huge, like, 
as if I had walked into a garden. And I was biking on an average street in a subdivision. I wasn't in front of a rose bush. I was overwhelmed by the scent. Um, that was amazing. Uh, there was a time on a retreat in that same school where I was with a friend and we talked about magic. And I, I said, you know, we need demonstrable magic, not just synchronicities, not just probabilities, but, you know, what I call flashy magic, um, where it's, it's obvious that it's something you could supernatural. And I was with a friend, um, I'll call her Denise, and we were hanging out outside and I raised my hand and I asked her to help me get in a high vibrational state. And she did. And out of my hand came, I, I swear to God, a blue beam of light. Wow. It was very clear and it shot up into the sky. And, you know, we think about light in an astral and energetic sense, but in a physical sense, like a flashlight blowing through smoke, you know, that's, that's kind of rare. You know, there's a lot of people who say they see floating orbs of light. I've seen some on camera. Um, and it's really cool seeing, you know, halos. Uh, people have seen halos around me. But to be able to do stuff like that on command, or a lot of people want to do levitation, or there's all these videos out now for Qigong masters to light stuff on fire, which is really cool with their chi. Um, but to be able to do stuff like that on command, like in the movies and TV shows we love, or in Harry Potter, you know, you snap your fingers or you say a word, and it's very obvious there's magic sparkles or levitation or whatever in front of you, you know, that is undeniable. So one of my, um, one of my goals with this in terms of, you know, a synchronicity, I think you asked in terms of a sign, mm -hmm. is to be on big shows that are exposed to a lot of people in the world and assuming it's karmically appropriate, whether it's Ellen or America's Got Talent or other ones, do things like freeze a glass of a big, a big like, 100-gallon drum of water instantly and transfer that heat to another one and have it boil instantly or turn another one into wine by transmuting the matter and not doing that to show off individual skill, not doing that to try to get a bunch of people to, to sign up or pay homage or join a religion, but just to demonstrate what's possible in consciousness. Mm. And if I did those things, then somebody you know shot me in the head five minutes later I think part of my mission would be complete and I wouldn't, you know, as a soul complain that this isn't about my, my ego and my individual success. Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel that myself along with a lot of people here need resources in order to achieve certain things. You know, temples will require bricks, which cost money, <laughs> but ultimately right. it's, you know, who are we, whether you call us divine consciousness, um, you know, star seeds, whatever. And to demonstrate that in, an, in a way that's undeniable, or at least that supports an argument, I think is what we need as a human civilization, especially with what's happening, you know, in the world at a political scale right now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Were there any life paths, or, or I should say, were there any life events that paved the way for this? Because you mentioned that you went to the Damon Her, is that how you Damn. say it? Yeah. yeah, I heard school, but before that, right? Like when you were getting your bar mitzvah and you mentioned to the rabbi, like, hey, I associate more with a, a witch. What, what life events cultivated this, right? Or was this always an underlying knowing? Um, like everything, it's, it's both, but this was an underlying knowing. When I was five, I was a magician for Halloween. I, I could find the photos wow. and I, I always loved magic you know I'd say 90% of the books I read and I read a lot of books I was a big introvert as a kid were about magic whether it was the magic the gathering series where I also you know loved that card game and had it as one of my first businesses mm -hmm. um, 
or otherwise, you know, I loved magic. And I, I think the, the thing that sparked it for me is I was watching some cartoon of Link and Zelda back in the day. Uh, I, was, I was born in 84 and um, I remember Zelda doing something and her hair went from like straight to a ponytail and in a second and she's like, this town has so much magic. And I'm like, yes, we need more of that. And I was like six, seven, eight years old. I, I don't remember how old I was. And I'm like, that just felt so right to me. And I think when I was 12, the movie The Craft came out. And I mm -hmm. loved that movie. And I just wanted those abilities. And so I started studying witchcraft because I saw a movie about witches. And I thought powers are cool. And eventually, I grew up next to a, a neighbor who is spiritual and religious. And I, I put those in different boxes. I think most of us do. And he said, you know, why do you care about shooting fireballs and levitating stuff? So what if you could do that? Would you, would you be happier? You know, after the initial excitement of a few days, a few weeks, would it really matter? Um, and I'm like, that's a really good question. And I, I got a little triggered at the time. And so I started really realizing that the value of these books on magic was a spiritual value related to happiness and quality of life. And so while I use the word witch, I, I, it, for me, it was a way of identifying with a group of people and a culture that wasn't just about magic, yes. but it was about community. It was about connecting with the earth mm -hmm. and the greater world. And I feel differently now because I've learned a lot since then. But for me, a traditional Western watered down religion, my family grew up in reform and, I, and you know, a, a, deep, a, a deep, more reverent uh, Jewish community, uh, so it was very superficial, um, what I was exposed mm -hmm. to. It's like, what about tradition and community and singing and chanting from the heart, not just following rules and doing high holidays and doing a big coming of age ceremony, but it's mainly a party and it's not, you know, something like the indigenous peoples would do, which is like very meaningful and significant. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I felt my religious upbringing, it felt superficial to me. I didn't, I felt culturally that I could connect with people of my, um, I guess, heritage, because it didn't even feel like a religion. Um, but I felt, you know, pagan traditions, that was a heritage that was a human one. The names didn't matter. Witch, wizard, druid, shaman, all of that felt under one umbrella, whether that umbrella was pagan or, or indigenous or otherwise. Um, so the events, though, that led to it, not just the this feels right and true parts, um, there were a few events. Um, I had a few really powerful astral projections, but the, the one event that really shook me to my core, this was one of the only types of magic of its kind. Um, later on in life, there are a lot of magics around healing, around money magic, helping me and other people manifest money and jobs. Um, you know, things again, affecting the weather or the behavior of animals um, or affecting, I, I run a co-living community, so bringing in people of a certain background or on a certain date because somebody had a weird move out date to make it a beautiful community or growing trees really quickly, you know, all the beautiful forms of magic. When I was a novice, I think when we're a novice at things, whether it's relationships or math or whatever, you know, or driving, we'll make mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. And in this scenario, I didn't see as much of a mistake as a indicator of where my focus should be. So, there is a bully in my middle school, I'll call him Fred, um, and I write about him in my second book in the chapter called The First Spell. And the second book isn't on Amazon yet for pre-order, but if people you know, give their email at magicgoldenage.com, they'll hear about it. Also my Instagram is at sorceror David, but Instagram feeds can be flooded. So just either message me directly or 
um, you know, sign up for my email list and, you know, filter it if you want a heads up when it comes out. But when Fred would, you know, bully me or, or a girl, girl I'll call Doris, and just, you know, whatever names pop in my head. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's named Doris, I think, nowadays. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, you know, he would, like, tease us, but then stop if we, you know, let him copy our homework. Or do that thing with, like, blocking our path in the hallway so he would drop stuff. You know, just stupid bully stuff. Wow. Um, you know, like, little bits of teasing, not, not physical bullying, which I'm grateful for because, you know, people experience that. And at um, winter break, I, I just needed this to stop. And I didn't want to hurt him. And so what I did is I asked, um, I asked for guidance. And I asked, I was, I was really connecting with the moon and the aspect of the moon of Diana, of the goddess. And mm-hmm. I said, please, you know, I'm going to send some energies. Please have them go through you and only allow the energies to leave my space and have an act- effect on him if it's appropriate for him in a karmic sense and a higher self sense. I did not want to act directly on him. I did not feel I had the maturity or even authority to do so. Um, and so, you know, I already had, I told school authorities and I didn't really, couldn't really do anything. So I, I took his photo and cut it. I, t- I cut his photo out of the yearbook and I, I burned his photo while doing a binding and a karmic rebound spell at the same time. Um, both binding him from affecting me and Doris, but also a karmic rebound to break his pattern of bullying because I didn't want him to bully other people. And at that time, I, I hadn't been educated in why people bully. There's a lot of research on that now. It's usually because people's you know, home circumstances aren't that great and they might feel powerless mm-hmm. or inferior in some way. But you know, I wasn't at the point where I felt like it would make sense or even knew that I, I could even attempt to psychoanalyze him. So I just said, may the energies he sends out go back onto him and may at some level he feel and know them for what they are so he'll stop or he'll be motivated to stop his behavior. And it was very specific in this language because you know, we don't want to control others. We don't just want to send you know, whispers that sound Awareness. like permission. Right. Yeah, and again, permission by his higher self, permission through the goddess, not my responsibility, just more of a prayer that you know, I think it was Silver Ravenwolf who said a spell is a focused form of prayer. And a prayer right. is just about self-transformation. And enlightenment traditions were all one. So I was just, you know, communicating with a part of myself, you could say. But yeah, I, I sent that energy out um, to, to Fred in that way. And then I, I ended the spell and I really felt a take. It was probably the most powerful magic I had done in, you know, two and a half, three years of, of doing magic at that point. I had done a lot of magic almost, you know, daily since I started having my first awakening at, I guess, like 11 and a half, 12. And right after winter break, like five days later, I was sitting in math class and everybody was in. And he usually came in early chatting with, you know, his clique of popular friends. He came in like a minute or two after the bell, which was very weird for him. He was kind of preppy and very like, you know, followed the rules. Um, Mm -hmm. While at the same time appearing above them and where he chose. And I... (laughs) You know, Natalie, he came in with uh, crutches, a cast on one leg, um, a brace on one arm, and a cast on the other arm. Like, he was in shambles. And he, he was, oh, I guess, wow. too proud to allow an escort, or at least allow to be seen coming in the room with an escort. And I just felt like, oh, crap. Did I do that? And I knew, like, I did that. 
And then my, you know, higher self kicked in and said, you did not do that. You had all these safeguards. You asked for his energies to go back on him. You did not ask for physical harm. These came through in a way that were, I guess, loud and clear to him. He will be humbled by this and he will stop bullying. I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> but that scared the crap, <laughs> right? That scared the crap out of me. Like, yeah, my objective was achieved. I wasn't bullied. Doris wasn't bullied. I didn't notice other people being bullied. But I'm like, wow, this is powerful magic. I both want to study it more, but I realize if I didn't even foresee this as a probability, I didn't feel that I had the maturity level enough to wield this type of power. You know, you can give a handgun to an eighth grader and we know what happens when you do that if they aren't mature and they don't have the home life right. And like you end in, it ends in what you call disaster. So I'm, I'm grateful mm -hmm. that nothing more severe happened, at least from a 3D perspective, spiritually, I guess you can quote unquote justify anything for spiritual growth. But I'm, I'm glad that, you know, A, I didn't tell people about that. Now, now I tell <laughs> it with this, the context, which I feel holds it in, you know, more reverence and responsibility. But I... From then, I, I only studied spirituality and psychology. I didn't practice a ton of magic unless it was related to healing or strengthening myself or other people, um, which was almost the only types of magic I ever did. But I didn't do anything related to other people unless they asked for it or just you know offering healing energies if they wanted it. Uh, and then I, I studied at a dojo. I studied Zen. Um, and a few other things got me back on the magical path. Um, I don't know if you want to switch to another topic, but I've, I've had a lot of synchronicities and powerful magic uh, throughout life, including uh, saving my dad from the verge of death, as I talk about in chapter 12 of my book, uh, and a lot of other big types of magic that um, I experienced all throughout life. At 16, I, I helped heal somebody from a sinus infection with hands-on healing in about 10 minutes. Uh, there are a bunch of things. Wow. Wow. I'm going to have to get your book. This is so fascinating. I'm loving having you on. So I'm wondering with all of this, because it's so like, so different, right? Then you can say like the average person's life, were there, was there reluctance that you confronted around like accepting this mission? Yeah, there, there was a fair bit of it. Um, you know, I always knew it was true. I always had visions of my future since I was seven years old, and those visions always came to pass. Um, so there were a few times, though, when I felt like, am I a slave? If this is destiny slash chosen for me, do I really have a choice here? Um, it's kind of hard to figure this out. It's not a popular career choice because well, money for most of us has to come from somewhere. Um, and while we can serve spiritually, there has to be elements to pay for food, right? Unless family does it, and my family... You know, it doesn't really do that. Um, so the, 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 some of the bigger moments, a few times when I got haters and people called me crazy, before I really had the intellectual and emotional uh, maturity to respond in the moment perfectly calm, um, that, that w there were a few times there. There were other times when I would make a statement or even post something on, on Facebook and I didn't, I was excited and I didn't do all my research and I didn't develop the right context um, where I got a lot of ridicule and I, I should have just taken the time. I think all of us have said, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this. Did you hear about the story? And then it turned out to be fake news or based on an mm -hmm. assumption. And we let our excitement and our inner child or whatever just run wild. And then we had to backpedal and say, oh, I spoke too soon. 
I'm sorry, you know, the data didn't support what I said. Uh, I'm going to be more conservative or take my time next time. You know, that doesn't mean what we talked about was completely bogus. It just meant we had to work on patience and mm -hmm. a few other things. Um, but I think, I think to actually address that question in, from a different angle in a way that's more important, uh, at least to me and I think a lot of people, and more useful is after I went through a sale process of one of my companies and moved to Silicon Valley and worked for Google for a little bit and then you know, decided I didn't really want to pursue that path and I was an entrepreneur at heart and I, I spent a long time networking with venture capitalists, you know, having private hangouts with billionaires, um, you know, learning a lot about being a tech entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people have a dream of build software and get passive income, build a company and sell it for tons of money and never have to work again and live your passion or art or whatever. I was on Richard Branson's island called Necker Island uh, with a co-founder at that time. And I was building an AI company based on education to help people learn new skills more quickly. And the reason for that was I thought, look, AI, robotics, software updates, Uber, there's all these things that are threatening jobs that people, you know, invest a lot into being able to do. And, you know, as a lot of us know, when if you have a job and then don't have a job and it's surprising, you know, that can be really tough. Right. Um, especially for a lot of people with graduate degrees or years of experience. And then that skill is either obsolete or because of, you know, globalization, it's hard to make the money that you could have made or once made. And then, you know, debt's a bigger issue and there's all these things. Um, but on that island, I really felt intuitively that even though I had people offering me like six and seven figure funding, uh, either right away or once we reach certain milestones, um, and I'm like, wow, this is, you know, the cream of the crap. I'm like, you know, having, having dinner like 20 feet away from Richard Branson <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm like, I, I could beat him. And I, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of other, you know, I guess you could call them signals in, in Silicon Valley language. But I thought, you know, I could succeed in this world. I totally understand it. And I know I have the brains for it and the resume for it, but it, it just didn't feel right. And I wasn't listening to those, that intuition. And so my body fell apart. First, I was exhausted, and then I had chronic pain, and I had all these health issues come up. And they wow. only stopped when I, I focused from a spiritual perspective. And of all sources, um, a co-founder of a very well-known, still-used-today, very w successful company, a co-founder who, um, you know, very well-known person out here, um, we did yoga together at, at a high-profile event, and they said, you know, you should see an energy healer. And I'm like, really? That stuff is real? And this is when I forgot for a while or like chose not to dive deep into spirituality and I was very mainstream. And the energy healer ended up being somebody crucial on my path. Um, and so it was, it was a bunch of signs um, throughout life. And I think it, it goes deep into intuition. And I, I teach this a bit in wizard school um, and I have a bunch of Instagram posts on it. And I, I work with people a lot on it one-on-one. -on -one. It's like, having a clear and true knowing of a truth, whether that's your truth, whether it's a decision or whatever. And the deeper knowing you have, whether you call that clairsentience or something else, the less you actually need signs. Um, I feel like signs are reminders and confirmations. And mm. if you're connected with that higher truth, whether you call that oversoul, higher self, spirit, divinity, um, muse, whatever, then you don't need those signs. 
And at, at higher enlightenment levels, you know yourself as the universe. So you don't need a crow to land in front of you or a shooting star or, you know, the number one, 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 one all the time when you're having certain thoughts. You know, I've, I've had all those right. things many times and you, you realize, right. you know, part of you needs those and eventually you, you don't. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, it really is more like the ego asking because I think it really is this underlying knowing. Like you just know. It is that intuitive trust that being, you know, heart-centered will you feel you feel it in your body. But I do think the human version of ourselves is like send me the signs. <laughs> let me know that. Like, let me, let me have this communication. Let me feel validated in this. Um, so what in that did you like, what, what did you have to give yourself permission to do or be or feel in order to move forward into this? Because if you were being offered like these six, seven figures to do you know, this mainstream work, how did you like, what was the permission you gave yourself to be like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I, uh, Nathalie, I had to allow myself to make, make mistakes, be wrong, fail, be vulnerable, be uncomfortable and live with uncertainty. Now, each of those things, I think you could you and I'm, I'm talking to everybody listening here or reading if this is ever transcribed. Um, each of these things could be a life path. Each of these things could be a book, a movie, many sessions with a healer. And I, I you know, very few can you, of them can you go from one extreme of like not being involved to another, especially as a man in a Western society, Silicon Valley professionally, so far has been mostly male-dominated society. I know that there's a lot of successful, powerful, smart women out here, just, you know, statistically speaking, and being vulnerable. You know, I, I had a lot of trouble being able to feel sadness and being able to cry, um, being wrong. I thought, oh, if I'm coming off as um, somebody who teaches concepts about spirituality, which is, you know, the definition of a spiritual teacher, what if I say something and I'm wrong? Whether I'm wrong because I misremember something, or I feel I'm in a high vibe state and I'm not, or I misquote research, or I quote research that ends up being contradicted by better research, you know, and I had to allow myself to be wrong and allow myself to realize I, like everybody, we're all fellow students, and there's a lot of people who place these massively high expectations on a spiritual teacher as like the gateway to truth to everything at all times, and if they make one mistake in any category, boom, their credibility is zero. Like very few types of people where we hold them to, to those standards. You know, doctors that save our lives have malpractice insurance because we realize there's human error and there's unknowns. Um, and you could even say in spiritual traditions, there's all these reasons why the veil of Maya could confuse us in some way. Um, mm. But failing, right? Like I was stepping into the unknown. That was scary. <laughs> that was for lack of a better word, um, I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. And I had, to, I had to do other types of work. Like, I didn't do anything like data entry, but I, I essentially did uh, life and career coaching uh, to pay the bills. And I, had, I did have family support for a little while when my health was really bad. 
um, because I didn't take care of my health for a long time. But through through doing mainstream work, not as a as a founder, because as a founder, if you take investing money, you know you have to stay dedicated to your company. And I didn't feel it was ethical for me to take money for a company that I knew I wouldn't stay in, and essentially have people pay my salary for a job that I wouldn't dedicate to seeing to completion or you know possibility to go. I did, that just wasn't ethical. So starting from the ground zero with that was a really big deal, um, and I had to allow myself to fail. I had to realized that I could write a blog post or a Facebook post and nobody would care or worse, it would hurt my reputation. I had to be willing to make mistakes along this path. Um, a lot of people experiment with plant medicines. They're getting legal in more and more places. Um, you know, Oakland, California near me just decriminalized a lot of plant medicines. Yeah. Uh, that's happening in Denver. That's happening in places around the world. And while these can be really powerful, they can also cause harm and imbalance. And it wasn't for a while until I was honest, truly honest with my healers and learn a lot about biochemistry that I realized um, it actually is better in the long run to not use plant medicines unless it's really in ceremony with people who have 20, 30 years experience if you are seeking healing or spiritual growth. Um, and I still, to this day, can't talk about them too much and can't recommend them because of their legal status. But I made some mistakes with those at certain times. I felt I knew what I needed to know. And I had to, you know, lose a few days or a few weeks here and there of emotional stability or productivity because I thought I knew what I needed to know. Um, wow, fascinating. So um, in your perspective from what you can speak on, what is your thought on like microdosing? As I know that's huge, especially in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you're, if you're looking at, any experience, especially one that can affect you so powerfully, it's good to be informed. And by being informed in situations like this, I would say, I'm, I, I need to phrase this just for legal reasons for like about myself instead of like mm -hmm. making recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, it's implied what, what people can do if they want to take, take you know, the extra step in language. But mm -hmm. if I were to start over and I didn't have anything and I didn't take anything until way after 25, because there, there's all these, this research showing brains are a lot more susceptible, um, you know, under 25. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, know, I know people can always make a case for exceptions, but I'm just saying for me, um, if I were to start over, I would research anything for about 25 hours, at least, like the biochemistry and the neurology and the dosage and the source and my personal relationship with all those things. Um, so I'd be like, oh, I have curiosities about ayahuasca, I have curiosities about cannabis. You know, cannabis is legal all over the place now, but it does affect you and your dopamine and serotonin in a really big way. It can be, and I'd say even is, addictive. You know, it does have some benefits, but, you know, if you're in chronic pain, you could say a or aspirin have benefits, but if not used properly, they can cause harm. So I would, I would also, and this, this does take money, but I would also get a brain scan. And I did get a brain scan for other reasons, but you know, if you're going to mess with your brain, and even if you think there's all these positive reasons, can your brain handle that? Do you, I, would, I would look at myself and I'd be really real with myself, maybe get professional help or support, however I have to, and say, do I have any tendencies related to bipolar or schizophrenia or ADHD? Because those tendencies, you know, if we want to get really real and be really honest with ourselves, those 
neurological and biochemical patterns to take away you know words of disease and judgment as dysfunction i don't think those those words help many people and i'm like mm -hmm. if i said do i have any patterns that could be related to bipolar schizophrenia adhd and other stuff how could this substance affect me differently than if i did not have those patterns and i'd also be really real with myself and say am i avoiding thinking about something am i trying to self-medicate and, you know, in, in present-day Nathalie, I had a friend who worked at Google. He left Google because he, uh, he had some PTSD from some sources. He self-medicated with psychedelics. He didn't get professional help. He had money in the bank. He had skills he could make money with. He kept microdosing. He justified, I guess, I don't want to say megadosing, but regular dosing. And uh, I was in the hospital with a bunch of friends when he died because he was found in the bathtub with his face covered in ketamine. And... Wow. The phrase gateway drug, you know, there's a lot of people who demonize plant medicine use. You know, plant medicine can be extremely healing. Psychedelics can be very powerful healing. There's all these studies showing they can erase trauma very quickly. You know, that was the case for me. I had four sources of PTSD, arguably five. I had two near-death experiences pretty much back to back. Um, it was a total mess. And plant medicines helped me dramatically. Um, but I did at some point rely on them too much because I didn't have a support network of close friends. And I had a lot of trauma in my system and I was used to using them as healing agents. And I didn't, uh, you know, frankly have the budget uh, or the, the other support to, I guess, make a full and complete recovery how I would in an ideal sense, which I was, for anybody who's going through really tough times, just surround yourself with supportive people find people who you can be 100% honest with, even the thoughts in your mind and everything you put in your body, and be in a setting that's positive, happy, inspirational, and kind, whatever that is, whatever the word is. Don't have any stigmas, whether that's a retreat or rehab or living with family. Just like look at your life in perspective. Um, so I'd say if I were to consider plant medicine use today, I would think about all those things. Because if, if you really consider you know, say microdosing, if I were to really consider microdosing on psilocybin or MDMA, a, a pure form by a trusted person who had practiced for 30 years in a legal setting, I have to say, because of current stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, that's, that's still important because then, you know, if somebody's practicing and they have a certificate and it's legal stuff, you know, they have to do it right as opposed to a friend or somebody you met who seems nice or somebody at a festival, you know, you don't really know them and you're putting your brain psychology in their hands um you know people can be overdosed or whatever by somebody who might seem nice but if you don't really know them and they don't have their career at stake there is a chance the experience could be bad and affect you in painful ways for a while after that even one time um yeah. and so I would get clear in my intentions and i'd say you know if i want to save my save time if i want to accelerate my growth open up my third eye accelerate my healing i'm saving time why not invest time learning about these? And our, mm. our world needs knowledge about these things by like mature, intelligent, heart-centered people. So anybody listening to this who's curious, regardless of your history with these things, if you take this time, and I, I say 25 hours, and that's actually not that much time. You can do that in a couple of weeks if you focus. Um, maybe more than that if you're really, really busy. But if you take this time, then you will be an asset to your community. And as long as you're honest about, oh, I did 25 hours of research on my own. I didn't read everything that's ever made. I didn't go get a certificate in a program that, you know, was 400 hours of stuff. But, you know, I looked into it more than most. Then you're an asset to the community. 
and you can save a lot of people a lot of things. Um, you know, I, people I've known used cannabis for anxiety, but cannabis can cause anxiety because right. uh, it can affect your kidneys and your yin. So I, I could go about these for a while, and I, I do sometimes like I did now because there is an overabundance and overavailability of substance and an underabundance of uh, information for most people. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for a lot. That was super insightful because I definitely think in our world, the spiritual community, if you will, um, there is so much talk. And even, you know, myself, past experiences have always been positive. But there, or I should say, and there is so much coming to surface now with legalization in different places that it feels like it's almost like doing shrooms or you know acid or MDMA. it's like it's almost like the natural next step for so many for so many whereas before it was something that you really had to consider and it was something you really had to you know trust and it wasn't as easy to find and and now it's so abundant and you're right there is so there's a lack of information and and people really giving the whole scope of the experience so thank you for that yeah, for, for sure. And ju just to, to tie that up with one, one other small point, you know, when I, was, when I was growing up 12, 13 in bookstores, hanging out in the metaphysical spirituality psychology sections, I met a woman who talked about meditation and using things to deepen her meditation. And I asked her what she used. And she said, with all the shame, marijuana. And I like, I, I think I did the equivalent of like shaking my finger at her and being like, mm. why are you doing that? And, you know, even now, like, while cannabis can help things, it can also hinder things. And it's actually not great for quality focus. Like it, it can make you keep doing the thing that you're doing, but it can also make people more scattered or have neurological patterns that mirror what we could call ADHD types of patterns. Um, right. But I remember there's so much stigma and so much guilt around that. And I say for people who do feel after the research and talking with a professional and whatever, that they want to use something once or it's right for them to use it a few times, you know, let go of all the guilt and let go of all the shame, but do have the caution. Um, you know, I, I knew somebody who's on a party bus for Halloween. They were curious about MDMA. MDMA is different from Molly in many settings. Molly is, can be a mix of things. They took it and they had a crazy bad reaction from taking it one time and that affected them for months. I'm saying months. That affected their work, their wow. psychology, their emotions. You know, when we talk about if you go to a third world country or a country without great infrastructure, we say, you know, be careful, don't drink the water, get bottled water. You know, I had a relative who went to a country in a, a city like that and got a very bad infection. It was in the hospital for two weeks had a $30,000 hospital bill and took a lot of work to deal with that. He eventually got it completely waived with the help of another relative who is a lawyer. <laughs> Not everybody has that. <laughs> um, but it's like, imagine, you know, eating one meal or drinking one glass of water and getting a bacterial infection and having to go to the hospital, even for like a day or two on a vacation or wherever. That sucks. Um, you know, plant medicines or drugs can do the same thing and bigger things. And I don't want to be like the boogeyman, but we hear of things like a thousand times stronger than heroin or a hundred times stronger than opium that are super addictive, way more than cigarettes. And we're like, oh, whatever, that's never going to happen to me. I'm not a junkie in the street, you know, shooting up. And I'm, I'm sorry for anybody who has that experience. I'm not trying to characterize you. 
uh, and I love you. <laughs> but <laughs> we don't think about that stuff. But again, taking a pill and somebody says it's one thing, if they're not a good friend and you don't know about it, it is kind of like drinking water in a, a crappy or a city with a crappy infrastructure. You don't know what could happen. It might be exactly what they say. It might not. Yeah. Love that. Thank you. If you, wrapping up here, if you could go back um, and tell yourself something, and with you, I'll say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because I know you've been in this world and practicing for many years, but if you could tell yourself something 10 years ago that you really, it would have been really awesome to hear, what would you say? Well, I, I would actually do the thing I told myself 10 years ago, yeah. which is work closely with or for the type of person who's doing the type of work you're going to do. Mm. And I'll, I'll be quick about the answer because of, of your comment on timing. But, you know, so many of us see a movie, read a book, hear about, know somebody, meet somebody who does a certain job, profession, lifestyle. And we're like, oh, I want to do that. And we invest so much time and research and energy training for that without actually living it day to day. You know, people think, oh, software engineers make all this money. I want to be a software engineer. And I had, I had a, a friend who was a software engineer in the Valley, made $140,000 a year. And then he didn't really like it. And then a couple years later, he did really well, you know, socially, got a few promotions, moved up to management. And he's like, I'm never going to be code, code again. You know, he got a degree in coding and he then was a programmer for three years. It's like seven years of your life focused on something. And he realized he never wanted to do it. And being a manager of a tech company, you could say it's good to have the text and coding skills, but programming languages change all the time. And, and using this as a concrete example, you can relate the story to any profession, whatever it is, whoever you are. But if, if he worked with a software developer before declaring his major, or if he really liked you know, coding as a hobby after taking a few CS courses. And then he's like, you know, I, wanna, I should do an internship or work shadow or work study or volunteer for somebody who's a software developer in, you know, the, the best setup I can, either, you know, the most money, the nicest person who shares their info, a high profile, good resume thing, you know, whatever, um, you know, a sustainable company. And he realized, wow, the day-to-day -day of doing this and the thought of doing this for years isn't really all that appealing. Um, that would have been so great. And on the flip yeah. side, if you realized he likes being a manager at tech firms, what if he got a degree in business school instead? And so for me, doing the work it, that people could say is the work of a thought leader, you know, the professional stuff, books, interviews, website, you know, I have these, these goals and missions of being, building a temple in the city, but how I you know, support myself is that type of work. How I let people know about these missions and raise support is through that type of work, you know, books, podcasts, et cetera is the, the career of being a thought leader. And if I took the time, because I, I've, again, I knew my life since I was seven, but if I was really real with myself and took the time to find a thought leader who was the best match in all the categories I could line up and work for them or with them, um, you know, at least 10 hours a week, really learn the trade, it would have helped me so much. It would have saved me so much time and guesswork and trial and error. So that, that's what I would yeah. recommend. And you could even apply that magically. You know, if, if somebody... Uh, if you're listening to this and you'd like to be mentored or have an apprenticeship or even talk about, uh, you know, potential teacher or partner you're thinking about doing or learning stronger magic or, or professional work with, um, 
you know, it's, it's good to think about that. Do just as much research as the previous topic we mentioned, because uh, this is something mm-hmm. that can affect the course of life. So I, I would have done that. Um, I did do that magically to an extent, but I would have done that professionally also. And yeah. you know, it was rich, rich, just to get into your name. If you were talking about wealth, I would have also worked with people who are wealthy. I'm doing that right now. I, didn't, I wouldn't have just read books about wealth or thought about it or watched videos or talked about it with friends who weren't wealthy. I would work on being friends with and hanging out with wealthy people. And if Absolutely. I didn't have the, the social skills, um, I would build the social skills. You know, people who are kind don't care about your net worth. They want to hang out with people who they enjoy unless they're very, very focused. So even if you're not wealthy, however you define that, you can still be a good friend to somebody who is and then learn through direct conversation or osmosis things about wealth, things about magic, things about programming, about whatever. Absolutely. Wow. Totally, totally, totally true because it that's the whole point of any kind of mentorship. I mean, think about all the teachers you've had, all of the time and experience. It's like that's worth something, you know, and it could have, like you said, collapsed in time had you maybe um, – met with the, you know, with uh, certain people in certain fields sooner and just mentored with them or worked with them. And yeah, and you can do that with any field. Exactly. I love that. Yeah, um, knowledge gets passed down. We couldn't do robotic surgeries that you can heal from in two days unless knowledge is passed down. So why rediscover something that other people have already discovered when you can learn from their experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. David, where can people find you again? Please let us know how we can continue to support you. And if we want to work with you, give us all of the information. And of course, um, his links will also be in the um, description of this podcast, but do tell us. It's Nathalie. Um, so there's a few ways that the fastest and most direct way is to email me. My email is sorcererdavid at gmail.com. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-E-R. One more time since people are probably opening up taking apps. S-O-R-C-E-R-E-R, David, at gmail.com. Um, Uses the word sorcerer in a cosmopolitan way. So people can email me, you know, whatever. I just say be, be really clear and direct. Um, if people want to support me, thank you for asking. I have a Patreon I'm still working on developing that page, but it's patreon.com slash magicaljoy, M-A-G-I-C-A-L-J-O-Y, okay. Um, and I also do regular healing and money spells for people who support me on Patreon, so that's a nice perk to get those energies. Um, if you want to get email yeah. updates and you want to you know, hear about stuff, um, you can, there should be a pop-up. Uh, and a place to enter your email on magicalgoldenage.com. That doesn't have a K in there either. Uh, I'm working on the site a little bit, so that if you go and there isn't a pop-up or something, you know, just send me an email. Uh, my Instagram is sorcererdavid, um, you know, same as my email spelling. And, um, you know, Instagram can get a bit flooded. I'm not posting a ton right now. I did post a lot in the past. I do have some IGTV videos there. Um, my Facebook is facebook.com slash david.magic.salomon, S-O-L-O-M-O-N. I always wanted to say magic is my middle name, and now it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I think I mentioned earlier, Wizard School, a ton of videos uh, teaching about this stuff. Uh, that's wizardschool.magicalgoldenage.com. People can sign up for just six bucks, um, and it's, it's a lot of content. Um, I also have youtube.com slash magic is real. And then finally, that's also the name of my book. Um, 
Magic is Real, and the, the subtitle is How to Create Reality, Manifest Miracles, and Make Spirituality Fun Again by David Solomon. Wow. And, oh, uh, thank you. You're welcome. And just, just to answer a couple of pending questions, just really briefly, well, I do primarily like to work with people longer term. I'm, I'm completely fine working on one or two individual sessions. Um, I don't do work trades because just my own personal preference, but I do have a sliding mm -hmm. scale. Um, and if somebody would like to uh, apprentice with me, like really learn deeply, um, that's, a, that's an eight hour per week commitment at a minimum to really focus. And if we don't do that, it would be it would be sessions, and that that could potentially be a work trade because it's so much time. Um, but that is a dedicated commitment for a longer chunk of time, um, and it's it's good to have money in there as well, just because that that makes people really committed. Um, and oh, if people are curious where I learned what I learned, I have a ton of references in my book. So I'd say if anybody is curious about stuff, you know, you could reach out directly. But I I think I have over a hundred references in my book related to you know teachers, authors other things. And one of the things we didn't talk about that I mentioned a lot in my book and, and wizard school is the Western scientific stuff, like people who do hands-on healing and end up curing cancer. There's a lot of that stuff that's documented really well. And I think it's really good for most of us to know about too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Wow. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for accepting your mission. Thank you for your medicine. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you today. You too, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I wish you lots of love and light. Thank you.